This is the Shannon Smith Shooting Podcast. Gas it up. What's up, gang? Welcome back to the Shannon Smith Shooting Show Podcast. Thanks for joining me again, as always. Happy New Year. I don't think we've had one since the New Year. Maybe we have. I don't remember. Just leaving a local classifier match at our range we had today, our local USPSA match. Uh, ran a classifier. We're about to start our busy season down here with the Florida Open coming up this weekend. And then, I'm sorry, Florida State coming up this weekend. And then Florida Open a few weeks after that. And then we've got a couple of three-gun matches coming in. So good time of year in Florida, good weather. It's our, our crazy season. So I'll be jamming for the next couple of months working on that stuff. I shot PCC today. Uh, that was cool. I'm enjoying playing around PCC. I know there's a lot of haters out there, but I'm having fun with it. I've been shooting a, a Tresna, which I don't know anything about the company, but I uh, won it off of a prize table. And it's been running great. Of course, today I had some issues. I got a, I got a beam for it this weekend. I got a laser. So I was in, enjoying playing with that today. We had a classifier match, as I said, and we had Can You Count, which is the first target's like three feet away. And... 16-inch barrel, you're already halfway there, plus the beam starting from low ready, so that was that was pretty cool. We had a .24 first shot, so that's got to save you some time somewhere in there. But I uh, had some failures to feed, so I'm not sure what I'm going to do about that. I've, I haven't cleaned the gun ever, literally ever, uh, so maybe that'll help my cause. I've got a, a friend loaned me a JP today that I can use for the match this, this weekend if needed, if I can't get mine working. JP's pretty nice, man. I know there's a lot of a lot of companies out there making PCCs now. A lot of them, I'm sure, are good. But uh, JP D- JP sure does make a nice rifle. So I may just just uh, pull out the old credit card and and get me one or two of those and be done with it. So it was uh, I haven't shot this guy's yet, but he shot it today, and I've had some classes with students that were running them, and they've always been top notch. Uh, so I'm looking forward to playing around with that. I'm probably going to do a little more three-gun this year, as I mentioned, so hopefully that, that work will... The PCC work will translate over well for that as well. wanted to share a real-life, another dynamic, critical incident with you and some life lessons learned before I get into the topic of the day, which is going to be match administration and all things match running. As uh, many of you know, I, me, and, me and snakes don't get along too well, and it's a phobia I'm not proud of, but it's, uh, it's real. I was leaving the range the other day, still on our property, driving around uh, to go out the back gate, and uh, it's gravel. It was cold. It was last last week. It was a cold cold day in Florida, and here's this. I think it was either a mamba or a, a cobra, maybe I'm not sure. Maybe the spitting viper variant on the side of the road or on the side of our on our gravel driveway. And by the time I got the truck stopped, I was 20 feet past it or something. And normally, am I? My carry gun, I just throw in the floorboard, honestly, because I don't really get out of the truck normally when I'm coming to and from work. And if I do get out, I'll just grab it and jam it in Mexican style and go gas station or wherever I'm going. Uh, but I have a truck gun as well underneath the dash, a little J-Frame 38. 
And so just not thinking or, you know, thinking the, the quickest access I have, that was the first one I had. So I grabbed that and piled it out of the truck and eliminated the threat from the area. Uh, two rounds, actually, both, both hit from a two-inch J-frame, not bad. The first one wasn't necessarily a, a great kill shot, but the second one did the trick. And but what I noticed is it didn't really move when I was coming up towards it. And I thought that kind of odd, but uh, it was a cold day, so I didn't think anything of it. So I got back in the truck, took off, and I'm four, five, six miles down the road, and the, the guy I work with, the phone rings, and so I picked up the phone. I said, was it already dead? Figuring that he'd heard me shoot and went out there to look, and it's like, oh, that thing's been laying there dead for a week. <laughs> but he said, uh, did you forget something? And I said, uh, I don't think so. What's up? He said, I found your your gun on the driveway. So in my haste to pile out of the truck and attack the threat, I kicked my carry gun that was in the floorboard out onto the gravel and never noticed it. So a little life lessons for you there. Luckily it was on our property and luckily he found it and luckily it was no big deal, but maybe not the best practice to keep your gun on the floorboard and rolling around loose where mine is as I speak right now during the truck cast. But nonetheless, do as I recommend, not as I do. That was kind of funny story. So we're going to talk about running matches today, as I led into uh, during the last podcast. A lot of the questions, I had a large group of questions coming in on on running matches. So I'm going to bang through a few of those. Uh, the first one, you know, if you're not familiar with who I am or what I do, I'm working at Universal Shooting Academy. Half of my job is running competitions. And half my job is teaching classes, and my time's pretty much split about evenly between the two, I'd say. We're you know, real busy this time of year, uh, throughout all the winter, pretty much, almost half the year, running major competitions. And then the summertime, uh, major matches drop off dramatically because of our heat, and I, I teach a lot during there. And I teach during the winter, too, just not quite as much because I'm usually busy running matches. Um, so I have a lot of experience. I'm not saying I'm better at it than anybody and my standing joke is another four or five years i'll have this stuff figured out but i think we put on a pretty good match here at universal and as evidenced by our by our attendance kind of backs that up one of the guys that has that has range offered officered for me for years and years and years said that i should share with you my my range officer speech so i'm going to do that so when i have the range officer meeting at the beginning of our matches before the match starts. This is the spiel I'll give, I give to them and I'll give it to you as best as, as I can without the audience in front of me. Uh, but I tell them, you know, thank you for coming. Well, we couldn't host major matches without your help. And first and foremost, Universal Shooting Academy is in the entertainment business. We are no different than Disney or SeaWorld or Universal uh, Studios. You know, our job is to extract money from our customers by hosting events and having them come. And that's how we make a living. That's how I get a paycheck. That's how I feed my family. So first and foremost, the shooter is our customer. And that's how we think about them. I don't think about really about competitors or shooters. I think of them as customers. My job is to um, facilitate them having the most enjoyable experience that they can and want to come back for more. Uh, Yes, it's a competition. Yes, it's a sport. But this is not the NFL. Uh, these are folks that are 
99.9% not professional shooters. They're spending their entertainment time, their entertainment dollar to come hang out with us and, and spend their money with us and they should be treated accordingly. Uh, that does not mean you get walked over. That doesn't mean, does not mean you don't call the rules by the rules. You are a range official. You're certified to do so, and that's, and that's what you're here for. I'm not expecting anything like that at all. Uh, I am probably the, the most competitive person standing on this property right now, so I understand what these shooters are going through. I've been there. I've felt it. Uh, hopefully, I haven't done it too often, but you know, when you're in the heat of battle and you, you take a two shots at that 25-yard partial swinger and there's only one delta on there, I understand every fiber of your being wants there to be another delta, wants that to be a double, you know, wants you to, to find an edger, wants to do something. Uh, there's no hits on a target. Surely I didn't miss it twice. Uh, I must have, somebody must have pasted it. You know, so I understand all those things people go through. And so I tell my range officers, that, look, man, it's not personal. These guys, are, they're not mad at you. They're mad at themselves because they suck and they made a bad shot and they're trying to, you know, trying to find a loophole, trying to find a way out of it uh, without really thinking it through. If they'd come back 30 minutes later, they probably would have a different story. And, you know, most shooters aren't like that. They may try to push a little bit here and there. Some of them, you know, some of them are, are dicks, no doubt. But, but the vast, vast majority are awesome people. They're just in the heat of battle and they're fired up. So I tell my range officer, look, it's not personal. No big deal. No need to, you're not getting in a pissing match. You're not raising your voice. You're not, all you're doing is making your call. That's it. Nicely, calmly, professionally. There is a chain of command in a, established, you know, just for this purpose. If the shooter is not happy with your call, they're 100% within their right to ask for the CRO to come over, take a look. They don't like that call. They're 100% within their right to ask the range master, pull the target, you know, whatever you got to do. And that's totally cool. They are the customer. We're here to facilitate. The range masters I have, I promise you, and CROs and ROs neither, but especially the range master, they're not going to let the guy get away with anything he shouldn't get away with. You know, they're going to make the call. Uh, by the same token, you know, I tell my range masters that, or my range officers to, to call it as it is. You know, don't, there is no benefit of the doubt in USPSA. You're not helping this guy. You're screwing his, his competitor. So if you do give this guy that edger that, that shouldn't be a hit, a delta, or the non-existent double, you know, you're not helping him out. Don't think of it as you're giving him a hand and he's going to be your friend. Um, you're, you're hurting his competitor who's not being afforded the same opportunity. Very simple. You score the target. You call it as you see it. And it's not personal. It, it should be robotic. It should be machine. You, you issue the range commands verbatim. When the scoring or when the shooting is complete, you score the targets. You score what you see, and that's it. No big deal. It's your job. Do it. Done. But again, the shooter doesn't like it. That's when you when you move up the chain of command. Um, we also the, uh, another term we use is that w you know we use the rules to keep competitors in the match, not to kick competitors out of the match. And this is probably more range master thing than a well. Maybe even not. I mean, it's, it's an RO thing as well. Uh, but if you, are the, if you are the type of RO that is looking for ways to penalize people or looking for ways to disqualify people, then you're not the RO that I want working for me at Universal Shooting Academy. Uh, again, that's not to say you don't call, this, call it by the rules. You call it by the rules. That's your job. 
But if you're going around looking for avenues to penalize or disqualify people, then you know, you're not the guy I want. We're here to, again, to, to deal with our customers, have them have the most enjoyable experience. And uh, I know there's plenty of ROs out there like that. And, you know, I try to avoid them. When we're looking for staff, those are the guys and gals that, that I don't want. Um, and be proactive. That's another thing I add is, you know, if you see something about to happen and you can stop it, stop it. If you know, maybe a newer shooter, for example, is in the midst of talking about their gun with somebody and you can, you can feel this. I've seen it a thousand times. You know, you can feel this. They're in the midst of talking about their gun to somebody and they, they go to start to reach for it outside of a safe area or something like that. You know, if, if those type of things you can prevent, do it. You know, get in there and prevent it and avoid having to disqualify somebody for it. Their actions granted. But if you can stop it, you know, stop it. Why wouldn't you why wouldn't you get involved and uh, and make an effort to help out a shooter? And the last thing I add is I've been shooting for oh man, twenty years now, I guess. This is my twentieth year probably competitively. Um I have never, well, not true. I have twice in my life shot a perfect double. Uh, they were both in practice. And had those been a target in a match, the score would have been Alpha Mike. And never in a competition have I shot a perfect double, and never, is, and never has anybody else. Uh, you don't need an overlay to score a perfect double. If it's two holes through one target, or two, two bullets through one hole, you can see that. That second hole makes a little bit of a different ring. It, it, it starts to form the figure eight. It's very, very easy to see. Now, you don't need an overlay. And again, this is match director talk. This is not range master talk. Uh, but you don't need an overlay to score a perfect double. Uh, you know, overlays are for scoring the edgers, uh, alpha, you know, Charlie to an alpha, delta to a Charlie, that type of thing. And, you know, if somebody, and it's always the, 28 yard target on the move that you that they got one delta and they're looking for two i mean really dude you know you aimed at the lower left delta twice uh, so it's, it's bs it doesn't happen it should never it should never happen it should never be scored uh, so that's a little personal thing i throw in there because again it's that competitive nature oh i want that hit so bad i want that hit so bad and you know you know it ain't there if i asked you in 15 minutes you would also agree it ain't there but in the heat of the battle, you're you're trying to get it. So again, you're not you're not helping that shooter. You're screwing his buddy. Uh, that's my philosophy on on range officers and and running matches as mass director. So that leads us into the next question. I didn't write the write down who the questions were from this week. I forgot. But uh, the next question is on volunteers. How do you? I asked how do you manage and keep volunteers. Um. And I don't have any tricks here. It's, you know, I'm very, very fortunate and I've been shooting a long, long time. And I think that's a big part of it. Yes, I do it for a living now, but I didn't do it for a living for a long, long time. Three times as long as I've been doing it for a living, I was shooting as a hobby. And, you know, you develop relationships. I've been in Florida for, for 20 years, 18 years now. And you develop a lot of relationships in the sport. And I've, I've, I've worked matches all around the state. I've, I've run matches all around the state. I, I, you know, I ran matches 
nonprofit uh, for years and years and years uh, before I came on here at Universal. And that actually, and truth be told, that actually put me in a, you know, I had thoughts about that. Like it felt kind of weird because I the Monster Match, for example, was a match that I started with a buddy of mine, Jim Schoonmaker, uh, 14 years ago. And it was a 100% nonprofit match. Uh, you know, if we had some major expense, construction materials or something, I would reimburse myself for that. But, you know, no money was taken out. Everything went back to the shooters via prizes or keeping the match field as low as possible. And that was my way of giving back to the sport because I didn't honestly want to go RO at the national level or the area level, that type of thing. I'm, again, I'm a competitor first. So I was wanted to be focused on competitions at the big matches, not on working. And so that's what I, that was my way of doing something to give back to the sport. Well, fast forward 10 years and I come on full-time here at Universal, still running the monster match. Well, now we're a for-profit company. And so a little bit of a different mentality in how you run the sport or how you run the match. Not really, but the biggest thing is now you're thinking about cost measures and, um, and people are coming out there volunteering their time to help you work on the match. So you, you had some weird feelings on that, but you know, it is what it is. If, if somebody's, if something or somebody is not making some money, you're not going to have, you're not going to have a match. I mean, the, the land's not free. The, the utilities aren't free. The, the materials and, and targetry and that kind of stuff is not free. So all that stuff needs to be paid for. Um, but my biggest, I don't know the word benefit, I guess, or, or uh, um, fortune in having staff is just developing relationships over the years. You know, the, the matches in Florida, I do try to go and help out at. Uh, there's a couple of big matches with some really good friends of mine in South Florida and Tampa area. And I try to go there and volunteer my time. Uh, I used to RO the matches all the time. With a one-year-old now, I've had a little bit of trouble doing that the last couple of years, but you know, I still go and help out and do what I can. And I think people appreciate that. You know, these, these people are, are dear friends of mine. Uh, they're not just an RO, they're not just staff. They're people I've shot with for, in, in some cases, 10 years or more. And you know, you've, got to, you've got to have that mentality or be of that type of person that you're a, you're a jump in and help out kind of guy if you're gonna RO anyway. I mean, most of them are, are shooters also, and they're just the volunteering type. There's something that need done that needs done. <clears throat> they're the type of person that's going to jump in and do it. They're going to jump in and help out. You, you know, you have to be of that mentality, or you're probably not going to RO anyway. You know, there's plenty of shooters that just shoot and never RO, and that's totally fine as well. Uh, but the folks that I have have worked many matches for me for a long time. I don't have any tricks, man. I, you know, we have some per diem, and they're, they're not making money on the weekend. I guarantee you that. I cover their match fee, and you know, some people I know supplement their ability to shoot by working so they you know they work a match for uh for the hotel and for for the match fee that helps them to be able to enjoy the sport at a reduced rate and that's awesome uh, and there's some people that just like to do it maybe some of them are retired and it's their hobby and they they hang out and shoot matches you know that's awesome too whatever their reason for doing it that runs you know that runs across a, a spectrum but in terms of getting and keeping for me personally it's really just friendships. I mean, these people really are friends of mine. Um, we've got newer folks coming in now. I'm getting to know, and they're starting to work matches. They're learning the ropes from the from the senior guys, and uh, Yingling. So we, we've always got we've always got Yingling at the end of the day, at the end of at the end of the work day, at the end of the match. 
and that's a, a relatively super cheap way for me to keep the staff happy. Happy, they always know they can come here and have a cold beer at the end of the day, and you know we sit around and we BS. It's not just finish the match, jump in your car, and go home. You know we sit around after the match and talk about the dumb shooters and how bad they shoot, and laugh at them, and talk about the people that are great. You know, it's just it's a it's a good social uh, all around weekend for for those that come out and work matches for me and, and we really enjoy it. Uh, same guy asked a second question. Does uh, shooter skill have bearing on their ability to design stages? Uh, I would say, yeah, 100% yes. And this is you know, not a knock on entry-level shooters that want to jump in and design stages because that's the type of people we're talking about. You know, the type of people that are going to say, hey, man, can I come out at, at 7 a.m. next Sunday and help you set up the match? That's the type of guys that get involved in the sport and make this sport run. And they're going to have to learn. I mean, you're going to design dumbass stages when you start. I designed dumbass stages when I started. And I was, you know, I'm one of those guys. I was always jumping in, helping out. I was always there early at the local match. I was always there late breaking down. Uh, it's just it's just in my nature. That's what I do. Uh, we... You know, when I started, I shot over in the Tampa area. We had we had a match every Friday night for years, and then we added a Tuesday. So we had every Tuesday, every Friday, and then every weekend. So I was involved in a ton, a ton of matches setting up. I designed hundreds of stupid-ass stages as you're learning. And to give you an example of the dumbest stage I ever designed that I thought was so cool when I did it, we had you have to envision this because I don't have a – you're not on video, but – had a, a PVC pipe that was maybe 12 inches long and the diameter of a, of a ping pong ball. So whatever that is, two inches, inch and a half. And that was screwed vertically to a piece of plywood so it stood upright. And the start of the stage, the, there was a ping pong ball down in the bottom of the PVC pipe and you had a pitcher of water, like a big beer pitcher of water and you had to fill the tube and float the ping pong ball out of the tube. Then you were allowed to go start the stage. But wait, there's more. I drilled holes all up and down the PVC tube. So now with your other hand, you're trying to plug as many holes as you can. <laughs> oh man, I remember this stage so well, and this was freaking 15, 18 years ago. Uh, so you're trying to plug all the holes and fill and float the ball out. Yeah, it was so stupid. But at the time, I thought that was cool. You know, oh, this would be fun. And it was fun. It was, just, it was a dumb little Friday night two-stage match, so who cares? But, you know, things like that at the time I thought were cool. Now I'm like, that's the dumbest thing in my entire life I've ever heard of all the dumb things I've heard. So you got to learn as a stage designer. Uh, but to answer your question, yeah, I mean, at a higher skill level, they're going to they're gonna recognize challenges better than a lower guy. A lower skill level guy does dumb shit like that or puts, you know, 18 headshots at, at 20 yards thinking that's cool because it's hard. And they don't understand the, um, the anomalies of the game where you, you're coming into position, that's where you place a partial target. Now you're tempting the guy to come in hard on that partial and maybe take a shot on the move on a, on a partial that he shouldn't. That's where you put the, you know, the wide open close target and then you transition to a medium range steel and then back to a wide open close target working those changing gears. You know, the better shooter understands those challenges and, and not that we're looking for ways to trap shooters, but we're looking for a way to challenge them 
And do you have the mental wherewithal and the ability to control your speed and control your cadence and control your fundamentals and make those shots? Uh, so for sure, yeah, better shooters are designed better stages in my opinion, but that in no way is discouraging of, of uh, newer shooters to get out there and get involved, man, because that's the only way you're gonna learn. Get out there and make the dumb mistakes we all made. Uh, and don't be offended. You know, I've always, I've never, it's never bothered me when somebody's blown a hole in my stage over the years. You know, I look at it as good on you, man. And I think that's because I'm always a competitor first. And, you know, if I find some loophole in an in a area match or a state match I go to, I'm damn sure going to exploit it. And it's going to bother me if, well, not bother me because I don't give a shit. But, you know, if, if the stage designer or somebody had a problem with that, I'm like, look, man, don't hate the player, hate the game. You know, you designed the stage, I just shot it. You know, so don't get offended on stuff like that. If somebody comes up and says, hey, this was really stupid here, just wanted to point that out to you. You know, take that as a learning curve. You chalk that up to one learned and, you know, add that to your repertoire and move on. Don't make the silly mistake again. Uh, second part of that same question, same guy was, and this is an easy one, do you think uh, if you never shoot outside of your home club, uh, does that hurt you? And maybe I didn't write down the entirety of the question, so I'm not sure if that was hurts you as a stage designer or hurts you as a shooter, but it's easy answer is yes to both. You know, you're, you're, I'm a better stage designer because of experience, like anything else in the world. You get out there and you see cool stuff that you never thought about or you, you hadn't seen before, and you can bring that back to your club and, and put it on. For example, we're just building the Florida State match this week. Uh, we started Thursday a couple of days ago, uh, and I added a, a thing I saw at the World Shoot in France. They had a, this teeter-totter thing with hardcover targets, uh, hardcover hardcover on it, and then there's four shoot targets behind it, uh, too high, too low, left and right. So if you can envision the thing, teeters, teeter-totters back and forth, so at the rest position, it's covering, a two, it's covering two targets, uh, high left and low right. And then as it teeters, it uncovers those and covers up high right, low left, and then teeters back to the start position. It's not a crazy cool system, you know, it's just, but it's something different. It's something I'd never seen before. I thought it was cool, so I built one and we're using it in the state match and probably, if it works, <laughs> if it works throughout the state match, we're gonna use it in the Florida Open. Uh, and you know, I never would have thought of anything like that or seen it unless I was out there uh, hitting other matches. And sure, you can pick up stuff on YouTube and I've done that before. You see something other matches cool. Uh, but I've seen activation systems. I've seen the use of pulleys and uh, block and tackle in, in ways to activate moving targets for, for further distances. All that stuff, you know, I've picked up at other matches. So absolutely, that'll make you a better stage designer. And uh, yes, of course, it'll make you a better shooter as well. You get out there experiencing uh, different stuff. I mean, every every local range i think well, i know you know has kind of their flavor and when you go to that particular match you kind of know what you're going to get and um so if you're always shooting at the same spot you know you're not getting you're not getting that experience and branching out and, and picking up other things uh so what we got next question why to why do certain matches charge more and his example, obviously the question was directed at me, so he threw in some Florida matches, but he brought up Area 6 and the Florida Open as an example, as expensive matches versus 
some other matches uh, that maybe have more stages and are less money. Uh, that's easy answer. I mean, we are for profit, so we charge what the market will bear. And you know, I, I I like to think I'm not out there to take advantage of anybody. I assure you, I'm not. But you know, running a range is expensive. If you know, you sit down and and do the math is not just what it costs to produce the match. Somebody's got to run that range all year long, 365 days a year. You've got um, taxes and insurance and utilities and everything else that any other business has. You know, we're paying for that all year long when we may, we, we may only have, I say only, you know, we, we do probably eight majors a year. So we do a lot. Uh, I would add you know, that we do flex a lot of our matches. So the two we brought up, Area 6, we don't run. So I don't know what they're charging. Uh, it was run here, but that's been four or five years ago, I think. So I, I haven't run that one or had, had anything to do with that one. I didn't have anything to do with that one at the time. Um, so I'm not sure about that one. The Ford Open, I mean, I think we're at 210 or 215 or 220. I think 210 for that. And we're almost sold out. The match is over a month away. You know, we've got 450 or, or something in there, so pretty clear that's not that's not a, that not not overcharging for the match. Uh, but frankly, a big part of it is the prestige of the match. And this is the 20th year of the Ford Open. Uh, we didn't always charge that. We didn't always sell out. And I say we. I mean, the match was going on 15 years before I got here, so it's not nothing I invented. I'm not uh, reinventing the wheel here. I'm just running the thing now. Uh, I like to think we put on a good production, and that goes back to some of the previous questions and and the last question I got coming up but you know if you put on a good show people will come you know if it runs well and you don't treat the shooters badly and the stages are good competition is good you're going to develop re a reputation as running a, a good show and people want to come uh, match fees may seem expensive but they're not man I'll tell you what I mean I, I travel I've, I shoot a lot I've been doing it for 20 years and don't think I'm some high flubbing pro shooter. You know, I've been doing this on my own. Uh, I work for a living like everybody else. I just happen to work in the shooting industry, but nobody's paying my match fees. Uh, but that is a drop in the bucket compared to everything else. You know, if you look at the, the travel costs I spend in flights and rental cars and hotels and, and food while you're there, um, and you have to factor in everything. I mean, if you factor in the, the practice time and ammunition I put down in the, in the, the weeks and months leading up to a major, uh, you know, the entry fee is nothing. So I understand it's not cheap. Everybody's got their entertainment dollar and entertainment dime they've got to spend. Uh, but just keep it in perspective. You know, you're spending a whole lot more money in this sport other places than, you know, $50 flux in one way or the other on a match fee. And I don't know what you consider expensive. You know, if it's, if you consider 150 or 125 expensive, if you're looking for a $50 match fee or $75 match fee, you know, you're not gonna, you're definitely not gonna see that at, at the bigger matches. Uh, but we also run, you know, we run very various levels of matches. We run the monster match, I think, is 160, and state match coming up this weekend is 160. Uh, so we, you know, not all our matches are uber expensive. We just we try to price it to to what the uh, what the match will afford. Uh, next question. I'm running a little long here, so I'll try to wrap it up. I asked about new MDs. What makes a what makes a good local match? How do you advertise? And how do you run it smoothly? Um, you know, back to experience, you're gonna see, 
uh, again, different flavors at different matches. And I, there's a ton of matches around here in Florida. Uh, you know, different places of the country have a whole lot of shooting. Some places of the country only have one, maybe two ranges that they can go to within a reasonable drive. You know, I happen to be in a spot where I could go to 10 or more. I don't even know. It's, I mean, you could shoot every Saturday and Sunday within a two-hour drive around here at all different clubs. And very clearly, different clubs around here have different flavors. And even some within a single club. Uh, there's some clubs around here that have three or four matches at the same club throughout the month with different guys running them. And so those matches have a different flavor. So you get a feel for, um, you know, what type of match that guy's going, that guy's putting on. And you know, talk to your customers, talk to your, talk to your competitors, and see, hey man, you like this, you like that, you want a host fest, you want some challenge. You know, I have a reputation at, you know, we're at Universal Shooting Academy, so it's, as I say, shooting is our middle name. So you, pretty much everybody knows, you come to my matches, you're, you're going to be challenged technically. There's going to be. Uh, a decent amount of aiming involved it's not going to be host fest but i do like to think we we flex it around you know i've got some closer faster stuff we run a lot of short stages uh, medium stages and long stages i know there's a faction out there that wants all 36 round stages so if they you know if you're looking for just maximizing your turnout they ask around that's what everybody wants well hell give them what they want you know build it and personally i like I like the variation in the short, medium, long. So that's, you know, that's the way we build our stuff. And, you know, our turnouts are decent. A big part of it as well is location. You know, like everything else in the world, if, if you're near or a big population center, you're going to have better turnout. If you've got a million people in your area to, to pull from, then chances are you're going to have a fuller match than if you've got 100,000 to pull from. You know, that's one of the things that hurts us. We happen to be out kind of in the middle of nowhere. So it is a decent drive to get to us from anywhere in the state when those same shooters could go much, much closer and shoot another match, probably on the same weekend, but damn sure the weekend before or after. So that holds us back a little bit, but you know, we're turning probably 60 or 70 for, for USPSA type stuff. So, so not horrible, good enough for, uh, for my purposes. Uh, advertising, you know, we don't do a ton for the local stuff. Our circuit is pretty strong here in Florida. Everybody knows what match is what weekend you know our match has been on the second sun our uspsa anyway has been on the second sunday of the month for as long as i can remember so anybody that shoots in florida you pretty much know that's universal second sunday so if you want to shoot the second sunday you know that's that's one of your one of your options there are other places shoot on the second sunday as well uh, and then running smooth you know that's just a squatting thing you need to make sure your squads are balanced that's probably the biggest problem I know everybody wants to shoot together and wants to shoot with their buddies. And I try to accommodate that as best I can, customer service and all. But, you know, you got to manage that. If you got to split it, you got to split it. Most stages are roughly the same time once you turn them. I mean, yeah, there's going to be some that are going to be longer. Uh, we had a 35-yard classifier today, so that stage was bogging a little bit just because they had to walk down 35 yards, pace the targets, and walk back. Uh, so that's going to happen. I, I don't try to to perfectly balance my stages in time. Because if you did that, then you know, you're gonna be stuck with the same size base stages all the time. Um, but I think generally speaking, especially for local stuff, they run close enough that, uh, that there's no problem. You know, if you do have any activation stuff or anything tricky, you wanna make sure that's solid. You're not having a bunch of reshoots for range equipment problems and stuff like that. But that's basic, you know, basic match stuff anyway. 
um, that you should do for any for any level match. I had one more on a Nationals comment, but I think we'll hit that next time. We're at uh, over 30 minutes now, so I'll let you guys get out here. I appreciate you joining me. As always, hit me up on uh, Facebook or email for further questions. We've got the Florida State and Florida Open coming up, so a lot of a lot of good shooting, a lot of good training stuff coming up I'll have to, to talk on to specifically. If you have questions along those lines, let me know. Otherwise, I hope to see you next couple weeks at our range. Otherwise, I'll see you on the range. Welcome back, my friends, to the show that never ends. We're so glad you could attend. Come inside, come inside. Stay behind the glass.